Welcome to In the Know, the Bourbon Street Shots Podcast. We're your hosts, Shemit Duop and Mason Ginsberg, and this is all Pelicans all the time. Welcome to In The Know. We are back for a little bit of playoff talk, and we'll be pushing out a little bit of question and answers uh, that you guys submitted going forward. But we're here to recap what's going on in the playoffs, what it means for the Pelicans, and um, our favorite pastime, make fun of the Lakers. So, Mason, what is up, man? How are you doing? You've been watching the playoffs? Yeah. Yeah. They've been, uh, they've been fun. Um, I mean, I, I feel like, uh, generally speaking, if you're a Pelicans fan up into the last couple of games, I, I would assume most people are, despite the, the draft pick implication, most people seem to be rooting for Drew and that the recent, recent couple of games haven't gone so well for the Bucks. but, um, beyond that, I think it's been uh, a really fun watch. It's just, if you're a general fan of the league, I think, I mean, just seeing all these new teams, I think that's the, that's the general storyline now, right. That, we're going to have a, a a champion, no matter who wins. That either has it's been a long time since that team won, or the team's never won, and that's that's I think that's good for the league. Yeah, I agree. I agree that this is kind of fun to watch these new teams break in to the postseason. Uh, I do want to talk about round one a little bit first. Uh, we can we can just kick it off with the with the Lakers and the Suns, uh, two teams with a lot of Pelican ties. So, you know, with the Lakers having Anthony Davis uh, and um, obviously the Suns having Monty Williams and Chris Paul and Etuan Moore. We cannot forget about Etuan Moore and Langston Galloway, by the way. Uh, it's actually four Pelican ties unless I'm missing someone else. But the Suns, they won in six. It was an interesting series. Um, there were a few injuries. Chris Paul was uh, pretty hobbled for the entire series. AD ended up getting hurt. And um, he had a a groin strain that eventually shut him down, and and they lost. Um, which is, you know, you don't root for injuries, but you do root for the Lakers to lose. And right. um, and so so you know I'm I hope he you know I hope they get healthy, um, but I hope they continue losing. So uh, <laughs> that's all I, I mean, look, that's all I can hope for is they, they continue to lose and, um, and that, you know, age shows on both of those guys, uh, LeBron and AD going forward. I hope that they, uh, I hope that they spent a lot of money on retaining Dennis Schroeder. And I hope that they continue to have limited pathways to improve their team. And they find themselves in a in a lottery next year. Actually, that's that's what I hope for because the Pelicans own an unprotected pick. Yeah, I mean that's um, well, we'll talk about the series itself, but that's what they do this offseason is going to be pretty interesting. They don't all their assets uh, reside in New Orleans now, um, 
and they've got a hundred million dollars guaranteed uh, to five players, five, sorry, five players in the last year of Luol Deng's stress salary. We cannot forget about that key point, key piece. Um, but um, yeah, they've got these, uh, they've got bird rights and some guys and they can go over the cap to, to keep and go way over the cap if they so choose. Um, but is that in the best interest of, of their team? Um, we'll see. Uh, I, I am, I think their offseason is one of the more interesting ones. They've also got, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker, who's a restricted free agent, who knows what he's going to, I think some teams should throw him a monster offer just for fun to mess with the Lakers. That'd be great. Yeah. Memeing, like memeing aside, they're, they're an interesting team to kind of look at as yep. terms of like next steps. They are able to trade this pick that they have, which is probably going to be one of the better picks they, they have if, if all things go according to their plan. Right. I mean, I wish for them to be in the lottery, but they're probably going to be right back in the thick of contention next year if, if they're healthy. Um, but you know, this, this pick that they have, I forget what it is. I think it's like 18 or 19, maybe it's 20. I don't know. It's the bets it's going to be in, 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 in a while, I think, or at least better than they expected uh, to be in a while. And they'll be able to trade that at draft time. Problem is they don't really have that many movable salary pieces to trade. Kuzma's, you know, one of them, I think Morris is one of them. Harold is one of them who, you know, there's some drama there with Vontrez Harold, how he just did not get any play time at all. Um, because the Lakers brought in Andre Drummond and they promised him a starting spot. <laughs> I was hoping we'd get there. <laughs> yeah, they promised him a starting spot, which is, you know, interesting. Um, which, oh my gosh, like, wow, like poverty franchise, right? Because they have to like issue these kind of promises to people like Andre Drummond to get them to play with them. Man, couldn't be me. Couldn't be my franchise. <laughs> we never gets those players. Um <laughs> <laughs> sorry um but right i mean like look like I, I don't know what they can trade um but it'll be interesting to see what what they try to do i'm sure they're you know lebron certainly doesn't give a crap about future picks you know he just cares about making the team better now and so i'm sure they will try to do what they can uh, with that regard um but yeah i mean the the suns i think i want i do want to give them their flowers enough to talk about the lakers yeah the suns have been absolutely fantastic right so like besides chris paul getting hurt like they are such a diverse attack uh from all fronts they have you know like in their starting lineup they have outside of aiden like you know like they got four dudes who can dribble pass shoot defend um and people think that they're they're a team built of like these three and d guys it's it's not true all of their wings are so much more than three and d um and and that's kind of what makes them such a dynamic offense and difficult to defend and and Monty's done a hell of a job utilizing their collective skill um, to bake in all these kind of all these kinds of actions that drive teams crazy trying to defend them. And and you know they're they're trouncing the Nuggets right now, and it's great to watch. Coach of the year who got robbed, Monty Williams, man. <laughs> um, it's yeah, I think um, there's a very simple stat that I think goes to show there how how impressive their team basketball is. And it's, it's, I'm looking at points per game. Like it's very, to me, it's telling that only two players on the team are averaging more than 12 or 12 points per game or higher in the playoffs so far. And it's Booker and Aiton. They're getting such a balanced contribution. Obviously you would expect Chris Paul to be over that if not for the shoulder injury. Um, So the fact they've been able to really handle that on the fly. And I still argue even in a series, he's had a little time to to recover, but he's, he's still a hundred percent. I think you can, you can see it every game. And so the fact that they're really able to, um, you know, keep, keep thriving on, I mean, on both ends of the floor really has been, it, they're so, it's just such a fun team to watch, man. Like there's so many players you want to root for 
um, regardless of how you feel about Chris Paul, um, which I think New Orleans fans generally are rooting for him, but there's probably differences of opinion league wide. But other than that, man, it's just, they're, they're fun. I, I want to see them keep playing basketball. I want to see them in the finals, really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, there's so many little like stories with them, like DeAndre Aiden taking a huge leap and just demolishing the Lakers completely outplaying Anthony Davis. Um, he's playing Jokic to a draw, if not outplaying him, which is really impressive given the fact that Jokic won the MVP. Um, and so Aiden's been really, really good. And and I think it's been, again, it's like Monty and the team collectively using their skills to, to elevate everyone else. And it's like, okay, you have all these things going on. Oh my gosh, here's DeAndre Aiden. He's the fifth guy. And when when all the attention's on the other guys, this guy is just crushing. And, and it's been great. Campaign, this guy was like, I watched him in OKC. He was terrible. I watched him in Chicago. He was terrible. One of the worst players I've ever seen and and turn into a legit scorer a legit point guard and he's doing his thing he's gonna get paid um and they're just continuing to get contribution <clears throat> from a lot of people down the roster i mean sarich wasn't really playable against the lakers uh given their their size and and their unique attack but like against the nuggets bench sarich has been great um they just have a really really well-rounded team like i i tweet out uh these radar charts um Pretty, pretty occasionally and before the postseason started, I tweeted out the, the ones that are in the playoffs. And the Phoenix one, like, there was two charts that were well-rounded at every single position. It was it was Phoenix and it was Milwaukee. And the Phoenix one was, like, like, like you said, the distribution was just perfect from every single position. They're just getting contributions from every single person on the roster. And it's, it's great to watch. Yeah, um, uh, ab- absolutely. I mean, it's the, man. Bulls fans got it. Bulls fans still they're watching the playoffs and they still do not believe that it's campaign that that, that player out there. <laughs> they were like not they could not have moved on from sooner and for good reason. And all of a sudden he's a contributor on a, a playoff team making a deep run. It's it's uh it's impressive. And again, credit to Monty for getting the the, the most out of all these players. It's 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 really great. Yeah, and you know some players just take multiple stops and a, a lot of players take multiple stops to start being productive. So good for campaign. Um, shifting the the conversation a little bit to the other LA team. Uh, they played Dallas and boy, for the first two games that they look like they were about to get moved to Seattle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> like Luca, Luca was, was dancing all over them. You know, they, they got down 0-2 the third game they started and they were down 30 to 11. You know, and you're like, holy shit. And like people were writing their obituary then and there and they bounced back, you know, credit to them, credit to Kawhi, who had a superhuman, like, I, I can't even begin to verbalize how good his series was. He just like, I, you can't do anything about that when he's on like that. Like, I think I forgot someone had tweeted out. I think he was like 70% on his, like he made 70% of his jumpers, like jumpers, jump shots. And it's like, how, how do you defend that? You can't do anything about that. Yeah, and I, it's funny because um, the game game one of Utah couldn't have been any different. It feels like he almost just needed a game to reset after torching the, the Mavericks. And it was, I mean, it was truly a, a lesson in, in, in shot making and and, re, and regression to the mean in a lot of cases. I mean, you look at the Clippers who are had I, I think pretty much the best shooting three point season of all time um, this season, and then they just stopped making shots. And the Mavericks started making shots, and, and Luca's teammates were helping out to start the series. And then the narrative flip where Luca wasn't getting any help late in the series and, and, and the Clippers were just started making, I mean, Kawhi especially, but the rest of the team started making shots too. So 
Um, I, and I, obviously I think another really weird element to that was the, uh, the fact that the road team won the first six games of that series. I mean, that's I, crowd, crowd size be damned. That's, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's absolutely wild. And I think, you know, when the Clippers started shutting down the supporting cast is when they started coming back into it. I think, you know, when you look at Luca, there's not really much you can do about him. There's really no defense you can throw at him. That's going to slow him down either he's going to run out of gas and start missing shots or he's just going to torch you and that's kind of what you can hope for at this point um it's certainly starting to feel that way but you can't shut down the maxi Klebers of the world you can shut down the tim hardaway juniors you can shut down uh the josh richardson's um and and you looked at the rest of their roster and it's like okay well Porzingis was a 7-3 scarecrow uh, he didn't really do anything. And then, you know, like, who else do they have? Like, J.J. J- J- Redick going to come play? <laughs> Hold on. Seven foot three Scarecrow is probably one of the funniest ways I've heard him described ever. <laughs> that's so... What that's is so he? <laughs> what else is he? <laughs> Man, it, it is it is funny. Even with the teams we talked about so far, how how quickly narratives can flip. Um, I mean, I think with Porzingis, it was kind of a... Um, a question of okay can you get him on the cheap it's not as obviously his contracts used but can you get him cheaply and now it's like is it, it not just that but is it a liability versus Aiton I feel like there are even Suns fans early in the season who are just like I don't know if this is gonna work out and now it's like oh he's pretty much indispensable for him yeah so, I mean, well, it's just it, it, it's the season was interesting the Suns are super interesting because if they don't win it all this year Chris Paul has an option for 44 and a half million dollars which he should pick up he should pick that thing up but he Sounds like he's not. The reports say he's <laughs> yeah. not picking it up, which I mean, look, look, if he, you know, if he can lock in a hundred million for the next three years, it's probably better. Um, I don't know. I think, I think I would pick that up. I just, it's crazy. But in any case, you know, he's going to lock in some kind of long-term money and, and Phoenix is going to pay that because they just had their best season in forever already, you know, like um, Phoenix is going to pay that. And then Aiden has his extension. It's his extension year, just like Luca. And boy, oh boy, if you're DeAndre Ayton's agent, aren't you going up there and asking for the max? Like all of it? Probably, I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's where you start. <laughs> right. And, and, and I don't know if they're going to have any option. And so what happens when Chris Paul eventually does decline, right? Like there's Chris Paul is going to hit a limit at some point. You think maybe. So like, I guess you're not to go too far in their cap management, but if you're Chris Paul, if and if you think the Suns are going to keep you, why don't you come to some sort of extension agreement where you pick up your option and maybe you you take a, a, a cheaper contract in the subsequent years and get the more of the money up front? I mean, that, is that what am I missing? I don't know, man. <laughs> like if that's the approach, if that's I mean, maybe. But I, I guess if you're really trying to start a bidding war, um, then that's the route to go. But man, if I was him, yeah, I I talk to the Suns, I'd say I'm picking up my option, and then we can talk about a a, a cheaper extension rate um for like a couple of years something so but hey we'll say interesting yeah well you know good 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 for them i hope i wish them nothing but this but success this season and it'll be interesting to watch them go down the line luca and and the mavs uh are in a similar position in which luca's going to get paid Porzingis is bloated salary and they don't have very many assets to tangibly improve people have tossed around the kemba for Porzingis trade i I, i've heard that's really not a thing and and like, you know, Dallas is really interested in Kemba. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a few teams that can take swings on Porzingis. Like, you know, if you're the Cavs, like, there's nothing, like, you're not, you don't lose anything if you trade <clears throat> Kevin Love for Porzingis. You know, you, there's an extra year of money that you're paying Porzingis, 
but you don't really lose anything until um, you <laughs> until you pay Jared Allen 100 million dollars. <laughs> that's going to be mean, a that's terrible a... contract forever, but it's going <laughs> to happen. Um, and so you know that that's a thing. And then you know I think you know Charlotte could poke around like you know there, there's teams that you could be like all right whatever like they they should sniff around Porzingis. Are the Pelicans one of those teams that should sniff around Porzingis? My gut says no. Uh, actually, my brain says no. You shouldn't do it. Um, I think there are circumstances if, like, you know, my moves one through 20, like plans A through T fail, um, then I'm like, okay, let's see, like, you know, if I can get Porzingis for, you know, Bled and, and, and Adams or, you know, like something like that. Maybe, right? That's, that's like the, the only like scenario where I'm like, okay, we should do it. I can I can talk myself into it. I, I really don't want to. I, I want my perimeter liabilities or my defensive liabilities to come from the perimeter. Like get yeah. me get me the perimeter players who can't play defense rather than the seven foot three guy that can't play defense. Yeah, I, I generally agree there. And I think I would even need a little bit more. That's just it's a it's just it's a contract where I think we we've talked before about you if you make a mistake, you can kind of clean up for it. Um you have enough assets to 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 course correct. That's a tougher one. I mean, I, I think anything that size, I mean, can you get off it? Yes. But, but I, I struggle with it if he continues in the trajectory he's on, um, which is hilarious given our concerns about spacing with Zion and, and uh, on paper, Porzingis seems like one of the better possible fits, but I mean, everything we've seen recently makes you quite like question what his ceiling is. I would rather just get if I'm taking on that that type of player, like I'd rather just get Bertans. I'd rather just I don't know, gross. Let me get Laurie Markinen. Like, you know what I mean? Like that let me let me just get those kind of players that are just gonna be tall and shoot threes. Um, mm-hmm. I mean the the appeal with Porzingis is that he can block shots, but it's like, okay, like how valuable are those two blocks a game that he might get if he's literally being torched 40 times? It, you know, and also it, yeah, it, it, I also think about and with and using the context of this past season, I, I also want players who give a shit about defense because the Pelicans don't have that right now, really. And Porzingis doesn't doesn't come off to me as a guy who's going to be like uh, uh, ever be a defense first or, or really care about buying into a team defensive concept and, and being. Is a, he ever going to really be a guy that is satisfied not being the guy? Like he, you've already seen the quotes and and stories come out of the the Dallas stuff. You you saw him. There's quotes literally from New York saying that he didn't really want to play with Kevin Durant because he sees himself as a franchise guy. Like, is this a guy that we want anywhere near Zion and, and Brandon Ingram? I say no, nay. <laughs> I'm with you. Anyways, yeah. I mean, there was a point in the season where I was down bad. I'm like, yeah, let's let's go get Porzingis, man. It's a it's a cheap uh, gamble. And then like. I saw this guy in the playoffs. I'm like, I'm, I'm out, bro. Uh, moving on, moving on. Let's let's talk about, let's just stake in the West a little bit. Let's talk about Portland and Denver. Uh, Portland, you know, they they got cooked by Denver. Um, literally, like, you know, Denver had like 123 uh, offensive rating, which is really funny because like Portland was right there in terms of scoring. Like their offensive rating was also like 122. Like it was like within one point. So like they were unguardable. Portland accomplished what they wanted to on offense. Um, what they did was like, they lost the possession battle. Like Denver had more rebounds. Uh, Denver had more field goal attempts than Denver had more free throw attempts. So they lost the possession battle. So you meant like two unstoppable offensive forces. The one who got more chances to play offense won. And so Portland is now, you know, they fired their coach, Terry Stotts, uh, their GM, Neil uh, 
O'Shea, he basically gave like the most Trumpian presser of like, I don't take any responsibility. So funny. It, it wasn't the <laughs> roster. <laughs> it was the coaching. Damian Lillard isn't a small guard. <laughs> um, the quotes that came out of that were like ridiculous. Um, and he said, yeah, like the next coach needs to be able to make this a better defense without expecting much roster change. And it's like, you're starting two six foot three, three six foot three guards with Norm Powell as well. Come on. Like the funny thing is that the Blazers starters kicked the Nuggets starters ass. The Blazers starters were really good. And then it was the the Blazers bench that was like, you know, I think like Dame was like, like when he was off the floor, it was like negative 36 per 100 possessions or something like that. And and I wonder which entity is responsible for constructing the bench. I have no idea. Help me out with that one. Could, it, it couldn't be the, the general manager. Possibly right. It's, it's Terry Stotts. He's <laughs> 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 Terry. It was blatant Terry Stotts. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of left uh, Portland's future up in the air a little bit in terms of Dame immediately posting a cryptic social media post. Uh, it was uh, lyrics from Nipsey Hussle's song Dedication. And um, I think, I don't remember the exact lyric that Damien posted, but it was something like, how long can I stay dedicated? Which drew a lot of controversy, uh, a lot of attention. And then he went on record to The Athletic uh, and Chris Haynes. And he said, I want Jason Kidd. He went on record. He said, I want Jason Kidd. And then Neil Neil Olshay was asked about it. And he's like, oh, it's unfortunate that that happened. Uh, And Dame did that. It's like, dude, are you... Are you stupid? Like, why Why would you blame? I mean, I, I know, like, it's unfortunate for you that it happened, but, like, the response there has got to be, yes, we value Dame's input, and we will we will consider uh, anything he has to say. Like, that, that's got to be the response, rather than trying to throw him under the bus, which is what Neil did uh, in, in, the, in that press conference. And then, you know, the Portland media... Uh, and fans, they launched a social media assault against Jason, Jason Kidd, basically like threatening not to renew season tickets, calling corporate sponsors, yada, yada, yada. And Jason Kidd withdrew his name from the consideration, saying he didn't want to put Dame and ownership in an awkward situation, which is interesting because one, there was some, there was some speculation that he may have a better job on the table. We'll see if that's true or not. Um, but it's interesting because, like, it's also kind of like, oh, yeah, like, you can't break up with me. I'm breaking up with you. Um, <laughs> that type of deal. But, you know, I, I'm interested to see who they hire as coach. I think Dame's next guy is Chauncey Billups. And if you're Chauncey Billups and you have the Boston job on the table and you have the Portland job, like, you got to take the Boston job. I feel like things are a little bit more stable over there. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I can see this going really south for Portland. I have a vested interest in their players. I'm not afraid to admit admit that I'm going to be a vulture about them. I mean, I don't think it's likely uh, by any means that Dame is going anywhere. So my focus is more on CJ. But obviously, if Dame becomes available, you you send anything and everything for that player and put him next to Zion. So, yeah, with you on, on Dame, obviously. Um, I, I've actually come around this a little bit. I was originally... I so I always wanted like having Damian Lillard was better than not having Damian Lillard full stop. But but like th- there was the concern about, about do you throw everything even with the acknowledgement that 
you know, how many years does he have left at superstar levels? Um, and if, and, you know, if you're saying throw everything that, that to me means you're pretty much throwing everything and, and you don't have enough in the cover to go get somebody else, or at least, I mean, you probably have to, I mean, maybe you do with BI plus a couple other picks, but um, you know, I, I think I'm past that now and, and just want, go get me a superstar. If you could put Dame Lillard next to, next to Zion, I just want to watch, you can only watch it for a year. I just want to watch that shit, you know? Yeah, man. I mean, um, look, like Zach Lowe said it best. Like we don't get to go to the superstar grocery store and pick our superstar. If that shit becomes available, yeah, yeah. you send everything to go get it. And, and look, like, I don't believe that it would take all of the Pelicans assets, and, and by all, I mean, they have 11 picks and Brandon Ingram and all the young players. I don't believe it'll take all of that. Um, I think it can take a significant port. If it did, I mean, I'd, I'd be happy to send all of that just to, put, you know, put a team around Zion. But I think, you know, like you can, you can do something where it's like Brandon Ingram and then like six picks or like five picks and four swaps, and you still have a good amount of picks left over and all your young players. If you, you know, if there's a third guy you ever want to go get, but like Brandon Ingram and five picks and four swaps would be the biggest trade package in history ever period. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Def- I mean, it definitely would be. <laughs> and you would, so you'd you hope would that it wouldn't still take that. Have, but... So if you have 11, you know, if you have 11 picks that you can trade, well, you can't trade all 11 of them because of stipend rule, but you have 11 picks in the next seven years and you send five picks and four swaps, you still have six first round picks available. That's a lot of picks. And, you know, I, I think you can probably get creative in which picks are you're sending out and, and whatnot to allow you to be able to trade more of those like remaining six down the line. But that's a lot of picks you still have left over. You would have six picks in seven years. So effectively you'd be down one first over the next seven years, you know, um, I, you, you gotta throw everything. And then that's a lot, you know, that, to me, like that's, that's throwing everything. Now on to sleeper sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy platform today with millions of players. You probably already have a fantasy league on there. I use it for mine. It's a game changing product. Unlike anything else in the industry. And now you can make money on sleeper too, by playing their new over under game. It's super simple. First in any sport, choose two or more players that you like and pick the over or under, for example, number of points in basketball or hits in baseball. Then choose the amount of money you want to enter into the contest. If you pick correctly, you can win anywhere from two times to over 20 times the money you put in. The main reason I'm excited about over under on sleeper. It's the only app where I can join my buddy's contest and play together. It's got a built-in group chat where I can see and copy my friend's picks with the tap of a button. It's insanely fun to ride it out together. Stop what you're doing and download sleeper now to play their new over under game and have fun with your friends. And most importantly, make some money. Make sure you use that promo code blue wire and sleeper will match your deposit up to $100. Again, download sleeper, then use promo code blue wire. When you deposit terms and conditions apply, see sleepers terms of use for details. All right. Well, let, let's, I mean, should we, you mentioned CJ too. And I feel like that's another, that's one in the end that might be a little more polarizing depending on what, what your offer is, because he's owed, he's owed a lot of money. Um, he's not going to help this team's um, bigger foundational issue, which is the defense. But he gives you a critical element to help, you know, exp- expand your options on, on the offensive end. So, um, do you want to, you know, talk about why you are very much in on CJ? Yeah, uh, I was trying to decide if I want to do my whole big picture team building spiel now, we can, or we, or we do it in the in the context of the question and answer session. But we can we can do it, man. I don't care, man. Look, look here's here's what's here's where I'm at. One. The playoffs prove time and time again that shot making is king. 
you have shot makers when the going gets tough you need those guys who can just put the ball in the hoop even if they got to make it ugly cj is one of those players who has historically been pretty good at putting this ball in the hoop especially as the game moves more and more and more towards these unassisted self-created threes he's been one of the best um over the last few years he's been one of the best pull-up shooters uh in the league for the last few years actually for a long time every team needs this element of like man i this guy can pull up and get his and really there's no defense that can do anything about it what you're seeing is players who used to be good at making really tough twos are now suddenly making really, really tough threes. And you can have the best perimeter defenders in the world and not do anything about that stuff. You just can't, especially with the way the rules are set up. And the value exchange from like three to two, everyone already understands. And so you look at a team like Brooklyn, they have Kyrie and KD. And they are running away with this series against Milwaukee because no one can do a damn thing to stop those guys. You can't. You just can't. If Kevin Durant decides he wants to shoot 10 pull-up threes, no one can do anything about it. And if he misses, he it's Kevin Durant missing. It's not anything your defense did. And so what the Bucks are learning is like, oh, yeah, Drew can go get this bucket. But Drew's bucket that he's getting is a two. Chris Middleton will get this bucket. The bucket he's getting is a two. These guys are hitting threes. You can't do anything about that. And, you know, that's this is a little bit, like, exaggerated, right? But I the point is, I think the league is heading to a place where these self-creators are becoming so good, you can't do anything about it. You saw, you know, we already kind of talked about this with Luka, the Mavs, I mean, the, the Clippers could not do a damn thing about Luka. They have two of the best perimeter defenders in the world. What's the point of those perimeter defenders if you can't go stop the other guy? You can't. You can't do anything about it. So what they did was, okay, like, we can't stop Luka. This guy is going to, you know, hit his step back threes. There's nothing we can do about it. We can go stop the other guys. And so they kind of allocated resources to the other guys that can't do that stuff. And, okay, it's like, Luka, you you. you just beat us. Like, see if you can beat us. And Luca got close. Luca got really close to beating them. You know, like they went, it went to a seven game series and then they just kind of like ran out of gas, but it got close. You're looking at Donovan Mitchell and the Clippers are in the first in game one experienced the same thing. There's no answer for Donovan Mitchell. You know, if he's hitting those step back threes, if he's hitting those pull up threes, there's no answer. And he's athletic and talented enough, just like Luca, just like Kyrie, that if you play him for that three, He's putting the ball on the floor and, you know, dancing through traffic and getting a layup, right? You know, those three-level scores are just ridiculously hard to defend in, in today's game. And the Pelicans don't have any good ones. Brandon Ingram is the best one they have, and he shot 30% on pull-up threes last year, which is not great. It's not great at all. And, and he's not he hasn't shown the willingness – or the confidence to take those shots at a, at a higher level. And so I encourage the Pelicans in his development to do that. Brandon Ingram will get you a bucket at you know, mid-range anytime. Again, those twos don't combat the threes. And for me, getting players, one, getting shot-making around Zion, P- 
period, uh, has to be a priority. Has has you gotta have guys who can make threes so you can withstand these barrages that these teams go on. Because you you're looking at playoff in the playoffs, teams like the Nuggets, the Suns, the Jazz, um, the Clippers, the the um, the Nets. You know they'll go four possessions down and hit four threes in a row. Pelicans can't do that to save their life. You know what I mean? And the more players that I have that can do that, the easier Zion's job becomes, easier Brandon Ingram's job becomes. And if I if I have a guy like CJ, kind of bringing this back up to CJ, I think CJ is one of those players that gives you that, oh, I can't do anything to stop this guy when he's deciding to pull up. Um, I think obviously he's not as good as the top tier guys like Kyrie and, and KD and all that. But in terms of like, just shot making, he's better than a guy like Drew, which is important in the playoffs. And and if I and he's been a really good scorer for a really long time. He can play both on and off the ball. And what I'm looking at is like a starting lineup with Zion, Nikhil, CJ, and BI. And I have three guys next to Zion there who can pull up, who can score in the mid-range, who can get to the rim and who can move the ball. And that just makes the offense so much more deadly. And I think what we're seeing here, um, this is this is like, I don't know if it's a hot take or not, but I think what we're seeing is slowly we're seeing the death of the 3 and D player because teams are realizing if you're only a strictly a 3 and D player, if you're not an elite three-point shooter, one, they're going to cheat off you anyway. And then two, what they're going to do is they're going to close out to you. And if you can't put the ball on the floor, you're screwed. And and those type of players are are going quickly out of fashion. And what it is is it's it's the amount of skill in the NBA is is taking over. And and there's less room for those guys on the best teams. Like they they become infinitely more playable when you have like really really high end creators, really really top end guys. But they have to kind of reinvent their game. Bruce Brown has gone from a pick and roll type player to literally a roll and screen man and he's six foot three six foot four like he's had to reinvent his game like um josh richardson in dallas he's supposed to be this kind of like defensive player who can kind of handle the ball a little bit can't do shit in the playoffs like there's no there's no room for him in the playoffs and and part of that's playing in in, in luca's system but like they're really like teams don't care about that kind of player anymore and and it's gotten a little bit ridiculous. And so I, I just want as many players as possible on the Pelicans that can hit shots. And if they can do it by creating their own, even better. So two 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 big thoughts on that. Um, your your points well taken. I agree with the philosophy. I guess my concerns are so one comment on CJ, and then I want to talk about the three D um, concept. I just I, I think there. are like you said, there are levels to these types of players where like Katie and Kyrie are kind of on a different level. And if CJ isn't on that type of elite, like uh, playing field with those guys, you start, I mean, you're, you're making trade-offs because the lineup you just talked about is going to give up roughly 150 points a game. <laughs> and, and so I, I, I just well, hold on. Let me, let me, let me, that... push, let me push back with that. <laughs> Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, Blake Griffin, who hadn't dunked in three years, Kevin Durant <laughs> off an Achilles injury, and six foot three Bruce Brown, 
held the Milwaukee Bucks to 86 points. 86 points. And so if I'm going to build a team and I'm terrified of building a poor defensive team because my two best guys are allergic to defense, then I'm never going to be a good team anyway. I'm just not, you know? And so if I have to continually compensate... This isn't binary, though. This isn't you're good or you're bad. There are levels to being good or bad, though. <laughs> I Look, for me... If you want, you probably end up being a playoff team if you want to tiptoe around their deficiencies, right? You can probably build a playoff team. I'm talking about being a damn good team. I'm talking about being at the Suns level, at the Jazz's level, where it's like, okay, if things break right, maybe they can win the title. That kind of level of team. And sure. I can't reach that level if I'm continuing to enable the best guy's weaknesses by bringing in, you know, players who ma- it's, it's kind of like, you know, we, you enable Anthony Davis by overpaying Omer Ashik and signing him for five years because that dude doesn't want to play center. And it's like that kind of shit like has to go out the window and it's not, it's not Agreed. the same thing, but it, but it is kind of like those guys got to play defense. And if they're not going to play defense at, at at least an adequate level, then then they're never going to reach that level of team, at least not in New Orleans. I'm sure, you know, if, if they end up at a next stop, they'll magically find a desire to play defense and, you know, we'll whine about it on a pod, but that's a separate story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, I mean, I guess the only team that can be that bad defensively and still get by um, is a team – so is a team like Brooklyn. And I'm, but they're I'm good at defense. To, like, they're, they're good enough. <laughs> well, Kevin Durant is a good defender. I mean, they, they've got – They've got Mason. pieces that can be. <laughs> Blake Griffin, <laughs> Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, Landry Shamit is getting playoff. I mean, come on. We've we got a pretty small sample size here, and I want to I want to wait to see what, how the Bucks respond. I mean, I think it's I think it's been well documented that, that the Bucks kind of got away from what they were doing well in the regular season, and I, I want to see if ha <laughs> ha Coach Bud makes an adjustment, which is hilarious, I guess. But but any I mean. Anyway, I, I just I, – I, it concerns me. I, I don't know if CJ is that, that guy at that level to make me comfortable there, especially given, again, he's another guy who's about to be 30 years old. Um, and he, I trust him less to, 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 to age well than I do Dame. Um, so, I don't know. Um, it, it stresses me out a little bit um, to, to – Well, well so, so the, the thing the, – the, I guess the level of context I want to add to that is, look, one, I think I think he – he is a a top five six guy of that you know mold that I'm asking for in in the league. So like he's he's good. He's like just straight up good. He's he's not a Kyrie good. You know he's not James Harden good. He's not Steph good. He's not Dame good. But he's like that next level too. I want to know what effect that has on on Zion because really it's it's Zion it's it's like you know all these things that you're bringing in are are going to be things that help you push Zion over the top because Zion is clearly an unstoppable force. And what the bucks are lacking is someone like I, I would, you know, honestly, like I would feel more comfortable about the bucks in this series. If they had CJ rather than, than drew, or if they had CJ rather than Milton, you swap CJ with one of those two players. I would feel more comfortable about the bucks just because they don't have that element of shot making. And like, look, CJ underperformed in this series, no doubt. Like he didn't, he didn't carry, is wait, but the Portland Thorblazers still had 122 point whatever offensive rating. The, the thing is, like, his presence 
makes things easier for a lot of people because like there's just so much you got to account for and and <laughs> they and, lost because they couldn't play defense they couldn't stop Denver <laughs> yeah but like the thing is like they were also unstoppable like they were they 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 didn't their bench just shat the bit like they were also unstoppable look they put out 122 point whatever offensive rating and like they didn't play defense because again I think this is an interesting theory um, because you're, you, you do raise fair points of like, okay, well, like, like the Pelicans are probably going to have a terrible defense if they had CJ, but like, again, you're not going to be able to find this complete offensive player who also makes your defense better. And I would like to prioritize the offensive side and double down on those strengths and just ask my players, my best players to do their fucking job to play defense. And, and I think, you know, what, what I think ends up happening in, is that you can put enough size on the floor with the Pelicans to where you can be better than what the Blazers were. I mean, the Pelicans were better than the Blazers this year on defense. And so I think, you know, if you believe in the future of Jackson, you believe in the future of Nikhil, <clears throat> those are going to be pretty decent, if not good bookends to, to start your, your defense. And then, um, those two other forwards, they, they got to carry their weight. Otherwise, there's just no future for them. I think regardless of whoever you bring on the team, you can bring in defensive guys to master their weaknesses. If those two guys don't play defense, they cannot be on the same team together. And 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 at least don't try, right? I'm not, I'm not expecting them to be elite. But, like, I do not, like, believe in that partnership if they are not willing to try. What about that makes CJ an exception now? I don't think it makes him an exception. I th- I, I would need him to carry his weight too. Sure. Um, I just I just want I just want to create an environment where the offense is so good and it's easy. It's not like you know, like the offense was good uh, at times for the Pelicans this year, uh, like number one level good, but like it wasn't easy. I don't think it was easy at least. Like they had to work really hard for their buckets, and a lot of that was doing dirty work on the offensive glass. A lot of that was really physical twos that Zion was muscling in. And so I want to create a situation where that shit is easy and they have a little bit of energy left over to play defense and it's the offense is fun. So they feel motivated to get back on offense. And the best way to get back on offense is to play defense. I, I, again, this, this could all be, you know, this could all blow up, but the Pelicans in my eyes are going to have to add a high level offensive player one way or another. And I just don't see offensive players that are at the level I want them to add that are also good defense, good defenders. I just don't see it. And so if, if that's the case, just give me all the, all the flawed dudes that are just crazy shooters. And so CJ's one of them. I think the buddy's the other guy that I've been um, really hammering and, yeah. and just get me the crazy shooters and let's see what happens. So this, this gets to another, the other piece I wanted to talk about that, um, when you mentioned the three, the death of the three and D player, I, I think what's happened is that the, the types of players we're talking about who are three and D players aren't actually three and D players. And like when I, when we want a real three and D guy, I mean, if someone put the defense to the side, I think defense can be a little bit amb- ambiguous on, you know, what, what qualifies someone to be good or bad on defense. But, but I think, so to me, it's a guy, a three and D the three part is somebody who can, who says, I don't give a shit about a closeout. I'm still going to shoot over you and make the shot. And so like, that's, that's who, what I see. Um, so you talked about guys who need to be able to put the ball on the floor and when closeouts come, I want the guy who it, to be three and D I want the guy to say, I don't care. Close out. I'm still going to shoot over you. And I'm going to hit the shot. And so like that, that to me is the three part of it. And so 
to your yes. point, but he's not the D, but he, he, that's the level of three point shooting. Oops. I think we can both agree on that. Like we're that, that that's the level we need here. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. Like to be successful in, in the playoffs, you need, like I said, it's either those ball skills or a willingness to like, I'm going to shoot this motherfucker. And, and what happens is you can create the willingness to shoot. If you have, if your shooters are big, right. Because those closeouts. Yeah. Okay. Like they're closing out, but I'm just tall. I'm just going to shoot over you. Right. That, that's the Joe Harris thing. He's like, all right, I'm just going to shoot over you. That's the Utah has Joe Ingles and Bogdanovich. They're, they're just going to shoot over you. Um, and so, Shooting with size is important, and and I, I I want the Pelicans to explore avenues to add that. Uh, that's why I don't mind the Bertans contract, um, especially if it means like getting rid of a player like Bledsoe. I don't mind, you know, I don't mind Laurie Markkinen as a bench piece at the right price. I don't mind Kelly Olynyk, like those type of guys. Like if I'm putting them out on the floor with Zion and they can shoot, uh, they can shoot over over the top of people. Great. Um, I I want my shooters to be bigger. And in the event of like a guy like CJ or, you know, like if a guy like Dame becomes available, I want those guys to be the smallest guys on the court at all time. I don't want there to be a situation like it was in Portland where CJ is your third, you know, CJ is the third biggest player out there. Like it's Nurkic, yeah. Covington, uh, and then it's CJ. Like he's bigger, he's bigger than, than Powell and he's bigger than Lillard. And it's like, okay, no, I want CJ to be the smallest person at all times. And, and that's the context I think you can make it work in. Yep. I, I, I agree with that. I think we're both, um, you know, the, the, I, we're, we're slowly seeing if you, if you're going to be a, a guard between six foot six, three, you've just got to be, you, you've got to do enough on offense to, to make, to make your teammates better, to make the overall offense better. I mean, and you, there, there are examples, but there, I think as time goes on, there are less and less of them. Yeah. Like, like he, like Toronto made it work with Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry. But they also had an enormous front line, uh, and, and those two guys, those two guards were also, they're really stout and physical, and they're really, really good at defense. Like, they're legitimately some of the best defensive guards in the league. And so, like, they made it work, but it's like, okay, they had OG Ananobi, they had Pascal Siakam, they had Marcus Gasol, they had Serge Ibaka. You know, when they won the championship, they had Kawhi Leonard, they had Danny Green. That is like an historically good arsenal of defensive players. Going to be hard pressed to find teams built like that. And so, yeah, you just, I think size is important for the Pelicans. Uh, if they can get tall shooters, uh, it'll be, it'll be good. But in lieu of that, you know, I want the outlier level guys and, and CJ's, you know, one of them, in my opinion, and then Buddy, who has been an historically good shooter for, for years, uh, just he hit, 282 threes this season four threes a game on 10 attempts a game he was on pace to hit 300 plus if uh if it was a regular 82 game season which is completely bonkers you look at the list of all-time made threes it's it's like Steph Curry Steph Curry Steph Curry Steph Curry James Harden Buddy Heald and it's like holy shit and then Buddy Heald and then Buddy Heald and like oh this guy is why isn't he, why isn't he a target of more teams? And it's like, Oh, well, his contract sucks. And you know, and when he plays for the Kings, he's a second option. He looks kind of overstretched, but like, you know, you bring him in as a fourth option. Shit. Like give me buddy. heel. Yeah. I mean, Sacramento where player evaluations go to die. So, I mean, if you want to get, <laughs> if you want to steal a player that you think maybe can be better in a different environment, um, 
go to call, call Sacramento, see what they can do. So I think, I think the bigger, the bigger point is like, you know, forget about CJ and Dame for, or and, and buddy for a little bit. Um, my, my point overall is like, I have shifted my personal philosophy from, you know, kind of having, like, I used to get a lot of anxiety about how to build a good defense around Zion and Brandon Ingram. And, and, and frankly, right now, I just don't care about it. I, I just want, I want the shot makers. I want teams to do something about the Pelicans, like do it, like try to stop us, try to outscore us. And, and, you know, Stan's probably not the right coach for that mentality. He would probably fucking tear his hair out um, on that type of team, but I don't care. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's not about Stan here. It's, it's about let, let's make this fun for them. Let's get legitimate players who can, you know, you, you can get contributions from them on the offensive end. Uh, and you can expect to get a contributions from them instead of a coin flip. And let's make everyone's job easier. And then let's watch Zion break all kinds of records in offensive efficiency because teams are going to have to account for this. Or if they, you know, if they decide to load up on Zion, then let's watch the Pelicans break all kinds of records and make three points. Yeah. I mean, I, I, so I, I get it. And actually, I mean, what I'm looking at right now, when you talked about the leaders and three points, three pointers made this year, um, literally four of the top 15 in the league are, are on the Utah jazz, which is nuts to have four players in the top 15 and three pointers made. I mean, one, it's a little bit, and, and even, I mean, Donovan Mitchell's on there and he played 53 games. So he missed almost 20 games and still is on that list. So, and even the fact that he's, he's not the best three point shooter, but they're just taking, but he was, he was unbelievable as a three point yeah. shooter this year. He was right. unbelievable off the dribble and, 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 and uh, catch and shoot obviously, but he was, he was ridiculously good. And then like now in the playoffs, he's taking like another level and you're like, Holy shit. Is this guy like, is this guy Steph? Like, who is he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is he Steph but, plus MJ? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you have the defensive player of the year and Rudy, Rudy Gobert there. Um, you know, whatever, whatever you feel about that award, who cares? Because he's, he's one of the best defenders in the league. And so it's it's almost it's not it's not a fair comparison to the Pelicans because it, you know, you've got Zion at whatever at the Zion, whatever you want to put him at, he's never going to be a three-point guy. And so um, you know, it, it, it you can't really use the jazz as, as a way to, to really build your, your team as a comparison, but it shows that like, you know, look what they're doing. I mean, you've got, you've got guys who are shooting threes. Well, none of them are really particularly good defenders. I mean, uh, in a team concept, sure. But um, you've essentially got Gobert as your backstop and look at what they're doing. They're like proving that they're deserving of their one seed. They're, they're playing really well so far. And even if they lose to the Clippers, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, but I mean, they're, they're clearly a, a top team in the league. And so it's, I mean, it's let's talk a, about the Hawks. Strategy. Let's talk about the yeah. Hawks. They yeah. have Trey yeah. young, who is this little like, Oh shit shooter. We got to account for is one of those guys that I was talking about. Like you just can't do anything about it. Either he misses or he doesn't. Right. He's going to pull from 40. You can't do anything about him. You have Trey young. They brought in Bogdanovich. They brought in Gallinari. They have, they have uh, Kevin Herter. Uh, they have all these guys that are, negative defenders john collins not a good defender like negative like bad defenders and you know what it doesn't matter it, it just doesn't matter they're all, like good luck stopping them Knicks. new york knicks one of the best defense in the league um you know they were the fourth best defense this year and they could not do a damn thing about the hawks they just they just couldn't and and they didn't have the firepower to, to stay up with them um and i think what ends up happening is in the playoffs um unless you're portland is that, you know, teams just get competitive enough, their competitive side takes over and, and guys try enough 
on defense. And if you have good enough coaching, which again, Terry Stotts is not um, a good coach in my opinion. And so uh, I, I don't think he's very good at making adjustments, but if you have the, you know, adequate enough coaching, you're going to make enough defensive adjustments. Cause that combined with like, you know, just competitive effort, your defense should be okay. You know, unless you run into that, that outlier level scorer. But if your offense is unstoppable, like what do you do about Bogdanovich hitting those threes? What do you do about Kevin Herter hitting those threes? What do you do about, Trey Young pulling from 40, you just you can't. And I think, you know, what one thing the Hawks did well is like, yeah, Trey's tiny, but their other guys are really good size. Like, like we talked about tall shooters. That's kind of the model right there is, is those tall shooters. Is like you close out on them, they're, they're going to pull. Like they'll just shoot over you. Yeah. Yeah. And even so, what people probably would not expect is the, t- the top two three-point shooters in terms of attempts per game in the playoffs for the Hawks are Bogdanovich and Trey Young who are making – uh, Bogdanovich making 35% and Trey's making 32%. But the thing is all their other guys that are lower, a little bit lower volume um, are taking, are, are, can, can also make threes at a high level. Um, and they've got Bogdanovich, they've got Trey Young guys who can make, who can take and make tough shots. And so they've got this right, the right balance of players who are lower volume, but dead eye three point shooters when they've got an open look which Trey Young's great at creating for them. And then they've got other guys who, you know, may not be as high percentage, but that's because they're the quality of shots they're taking are, are not as good. Yeah. And I think what, what ends up happening again, it's this, it's this effect of like, okay, you don't necessarily need those guys to shoot well, like those main guys, but the fact that they can, in fact, that they're a threat to at any point just makes things easier for, for everyone else down the roster. It's like what I said about CJ, he sucked uh in the playoffs this year he just didn't make that many shots but the portland portland had an insane offensive rating i mean part of that was like damian lillard scoring like 50 points a game every game um don't get me wrong but like the the presence of these guys makes it easier for for everyone else and i just want a team where when they play against the pelicans defenses always have this thing on the back of their mind that like, oh shit, where's this shooter? Where'd he go? Where's this guy? Okay, oh my God, this Brandon Ingram running pick and roll. Where's Buddy? Where's CJ? Or like something like that. I want them to be panicking. And all you need over the course of a season, as we saw, you know, the Pelicans blew so many close games. It's literally like one or two possessions that you need to change. And and the outcome of, of so many games is different. And so if those one or two possessions are like defensive mistakes that the, that the opponent is making, just because they're you know they're trying to account for all these guys I, I think one or two possessions over the course of an 82 game season can go a very very long way you know that that, that can be you know with the pelicans this year that could have been like 10 more wins <laughs> yeah right um you have just enough wiggle room to, to blow it in the clutch and still win the game <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, look, I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, CJ is just a guy that I've pegged as, as, as acquirable um, along with buddy, you know, I think that they're the best of the best. I, I don't know if the Pelicans have any interest in those guys or, or you know, or would be able to pull off trades. I would just prefer them to, um, you know, like earlier I was on the Brogdon train and all that. I'm like, yeah, Brogdon's solid. He can hit threes. It's just, I, I need, I just, at this point I'm, I'm leaning all the way into volume. Like I, I wouldn't mind Brogdon on a team, but I, I really need those volume guys. I really, I need those guys that are making three or four a game. It's kind of crazy that there was, there was a good amount of those guys this year. And then Lonzo was one of them. It's just, he, he runs into that three and D issue that we talked about. It's like you close out on Lonzo. There's nothing he's really doing. Yeah. And he's been, obviously there's a, 
I don't know. Um, there, at, at some point, there's a conversation of, of, you know, whether you're a consistent three-point shooter, and there's no such thing as someone who's going to come in every single game and go like two for five or four for ten. But, I mean... Tony Snell, baby. 50-50-100. But, I mean, there is the there is a concern of, of consistency. And so, I mean, Lon, the issue with Lonzo has been well-documented about how he's like... Apparently, he's just a Mr. February and plays... I mean, if you can get him for one month of the year, get him in February, and then the rest of it's very pedestrian. So um, that's, you know, but that's, that's topic for another day or past days, actually. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm interested in, you know, like how much, if, like if rules are going to change and how much rules are going to change, I think, you know, like this, the guys that we're talking about um, are probably not going to be impacted by like those, the rules are probably going to change with the ones that like the, where the, the players try to grift some free throws um, at three point line, you know, like they like jump into defenders or they do anything, things like that, you know, like buddy and, 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 and CJ aren't historically like high free throw rate type players. Like they they don't really get to the line that much. So I don't think it, it would change their game, but I do want, I, you know, I, I do wonder what it means for guys like Trey and, and, and Harden and all that. So I think, it could be again another inefficiency for the Pelicans to exploit. Yeah, let's just get the guys that don't get to the line. <laughs> Can't hurt me with the rule changes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, one worse than that, and I promise you, no rule change imaginable is going to impact Zion's ability to get to the line. So we've got that cheat code. <laughs> right, and then like, look, does he get more calls in a more spaced out floor? Eric Gordon certainly seems to think so, right? He came he came to one of those Bourbon Street shots watch parties at, at Tracy's and yeah. um, he explained that, you know, like Pelicans play two bigs. He had like Ajinsa and AD at the time, or maybe it was like Omer, I don't know, whatever. Um, one of those two guys and AD on the floor. And he was like, yeah, like the refs just can't really see in that traffic because there's so many bodies there. And, and you know, maybe if he certain seems to think there's an element of truth to that, maybe, you know, the Pelicans – we'll start getting to the line more because of how more the space, the floor is spaced. But again, if, if defenses want to get sell out for Zion, which I, I can definitely see teams like the Spurs and, and like, you know, the stubborn old coaches doing, then I want those, I want players on the team that will absolutely torch, torch teams for doing that. Just like the jazz have. Yep. Agreed. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. I guess we didn't really talk about the, um, the rest of the playoffs, we can, um, the one I really like, uh, like, you know, I guess we touched on Brooklyn and, and, and we, we touched on Philly. We touched on Atlanta a little bit. Um, kind of, we kind of got there in a roundabout way. The other thing I wanted to, to talk about was Brad Stevens and the Danny yeah. Ainge thing. So Danny Ainge, uh, long time GM president, whatever, uh, steps down, retires and, and Brad Stevens, uh, after a very thorough intensive search that that organization did becomes the head of basketball operations and that's interesting to me because it's certainly from the outside looking in seems like a little power play. Um, Brad Stevens kind of taking this job, but what the Celtics are trying to do is they're trying to bring in, I guess, a new voice because Brad Stevens was tired. He was tired of coaching. And so you wanted to do this easier job supposedly of, of running a whole basketball enterprise because that's a very easy job to do. And the way that Boston media talks about it is, is a little bit uncomfortable, but they're like, they're like, Oh yeah, we want to bring in like a minority to, to be the coach. And which is like, great. But the way they're talking about it is like, they're championing tokenism. Like, Oh yeah, we, we got to have this, you know, minority for the sake of being a minority. And it's a little bit uncomfortable because I don't think like the people are realizing like they're talking about it in, in such a way. 
and like Woj released a list of candidates that the Celtics have permission to interview and, and all of them were, were black. And again, like it's, it's one of those things where like they're doing the right, I don't know, like they're, they're doing the right thing in the sense that like they are interviewing a diverse crowd and giving uh, people who, who may not have had the opportunity with other franchises and not an, an opportunity. But at the same time, like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's difficult for me to talk about this, but I, do you see like where I'm kind of going with this? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I feel like it was it, the, the annoying part or the troubling part is almost used like a defense mechanism. That's the way I, I kind of interpret it as like, well, yes, we did this. And the process by which we did this was pretty, was incredibly flawed, but it's okay because of this. And it's like, no, yes. like that's not, that's, that's not how this works. You know, that's how I understood it. Yeah. I, I think you're, you're spot on there. I think there's this like, you know, like they're beating you over the head. Hey, look, look at all these black coaches that we interviewed. And it's like, and, and I think they're using that to kind of, like you said, is, is like as a defense mechanism or to distract from, from other things. But, you know, I wish them luck in their, in, in their coaching search. I think it'll be interesting to see what they do. And again, like I think we talked about Chauncey Billups is if, if they hire Chauncey Billups, what happens in Portland? Because that's, that's another one of Dame's guys. And is, does Dame just be like, shit, man, I can't even get the coaches that I want. And does he just pack it up and be like, all right, I'm out. Or, you know, is he, can he be, can he be satisfied with someone else? I don't know. Yeah. Interesting situation. Um, I do wonder, I mean, they, they've got even putting all the uh, leadership changes aside, there's a lot to figure out in Boston this off season. I mean, they clearly, I mean, it wasn't an easy year uh, for COVID reasons for them. Maybe it may hurt Boston a little bit more than the average team, but at the same time, they've got some problems. <laughs> I mean, that Kemba Walker contract does not look, uh, does not look good. Um, they're, it's definitely a, a negative for any team that, that they can find to take it on. Um, and so what are they going to do? And has, has anything that's happened recently um, going, is, is that going to negatively impact any players really, um, you know, comfort level with the team? Uh, so I, I, I tend to think no, but I mean, I'm curious to see whether, you know, what, ch- what changes are going to come from that team this offseason. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I think the Celtics are probably going to try to build around their two main guys. And um, what's going to happen is is they look for Kemba trades and there's like interesting news coming out about like whether they mutually want to break up or not or whether like, you know, Kemba's pissed that his name was included in trade rumors. There, there's stuff going on there. Um, finding a destination for Kemba isn't exactly easy. So it'll see, it'll be interesting. And, and they're in a crunch with regards to the luxury tax as well which is another factor when it comes to like maybe bringing back a guy like Evan Fournier. So yeah, they, I don't know what they're going to do. I'm interested to watch them. I think they are an interesting case in team building, especially because they approach the rebuild in a kind of a similar way that the Pelicans did. I think the Pelicans kind of model the Celtics rebuild and there's a lot to learn from the Celtics mistakes over the years. Um, So I'm always interested in watching the Celtics. The other thing, there's two other coaches that were fired. Nate Bjorkergen of, I'm sorry, I probably butchered that name, but the Indiana Pacers head coach was fired. The The hit pieces are coming out about him. And uh, there was a, a quote circulating today about how he like didn't allow like do rags on the plane. Um, which I can, oh my gosh. I did not know that. I didn't see that. Good Lord. <laughs> yeah. And then like the quote also said like, oh, well, Nate McMillan also had his requests or whatnot, but like that's, you should know better. Um, I, I, I was like, I can't imagine that going well with players at all. Um, but yeah, he was fired. So the, the Pacers are looking for a new coach. I 
Pacers don't ever rebuild. Their ownership doesn't let them rebuild. Uh, so I don't anticipate them making enormous moves. They're probably, in my opinion, they're probably going to break up one of their 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 centers. Um, I, I've gone back and forth with Sabonis. I know we've talked about him on the pod, but like because he has such a great contract. But now, man, like shit, just give me the shooters. Like I'm tired of these bigs. Forget these bigs. Give me give me give me perimeter guys, man. I'm I'm tired of of trying to bring in like big big old dudes who can't make a three point shot or don't make three point shots. So does does Brogdon qualify for you? I see. I mean, because he's not that. Uh, I mean, is he a volume shooter? I guess in your mind. Well, look, I think Brogdon will make the Pelicans better. Period. So I'm not going to turn down a Brogdon trade. Like, look, if of all my, you know, like especially if it like involves Bledsoe and Bledsoe's getting the hell out of here, I'm not going to turn down Brogdon on this team in any sense. Um, I'm yeah. just not right. His volume jumped up this year. I, I I didn't properly realize that he. I mean, he it vaulted up. He, he was averaging like under four a game in his first four years. And, and now he's at, he finished this year, six and 6.7 per game. And I think he'll, spot. it'll bump up uh, on a, on a Zion Williamson team. It has to. And so look, Brockton's a very, very, very good player and beggars cannot be choosers. So like, I am, I am okay with Malcolm Brockton. Uh, I, I just prefer something of a different flavor. Yeah. Um, and also are they actually, I mean, I, I, I don't see a team like the Pacers and what, based on what the Pacers want to do, I, I don't see them moving Brockton just for, you know, cause I think they, they like him. So I can see them moving Brogdon. I, I think they want to play fast and, and they don't think he plays fast. So I, I can see that. And he's like the eldest of their core. Um, that's, that's true. It's a good point. But like I said, like, I don't, I cannot be choosy here. Like Brogdon scores, passes, shoots. He does everything. So yeah, I'm, I'm fine with Brogdon. The Belicans be a better team. And then the other team that fired a coach was, the Orlando Magic, they fired Steve Clifford, who was part of the Stan Van Gundy tree. And so they are looking, they, they've explicitly said they're, they're looking to rebuild. And so, uh, but they said that. And then like, I think Woj tweeted like, oh, they might be interested in Terry Stotts. I don't like rebuilding and Terry Stotts. That doesn't make any sense, but okay. Good for them. So I don't, I don't know what, what the Magic are going to do. They have started a new journey. Maybe they're players. I, I look at, at the Magic for my pathway to Buddy. I think I can send them Bledsoe and couple second round picks and uh they can send gary harris to sacramento who will send buddy to new orleans and gary harris will uh be an expiring and and save them save sacramento a lot of money uh in the long run what's um is isaac is he gonna start the year or is he out for part of the year i don't know right i don't know man i have no idea what his health situation is yeah but like again like because like i have lowered on guys like Isaac because as good as they are defensively that shit just doesn't matter like when you have guys who can do whatever they want on the perimeter like what are you going to do about it like like that like defense and like those kind of defenders are really useful in the regular season and which the Pelicans are going to need if they ever want to get to the playoffs anyway but it's just like I just watched Luca tear apart Kawhi and Paul George and and you know Pat Beverly and 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 Morris and just a team and Batum, team full of defenders, and they not be able to do anything about. It. And so like I mean Drew Drew can't do anything about Kyrie right now. I'm sure like there's going to be some sort of regression that comes for for a lot of those players. And and but it's like you just can't do anything about it. So like why am I prioritizing these these defensive fits? Let me just go and get the offense and then the defensive stuff out yeah i mean i, I think i, I think a gre- regression is coming to uh, for you know, 
to a degree, but at the same time, I mean, it's point well taken. And, and the, the fact that the Nets are, have done this to the Bucks specifically in the first two games with, I mean, James Harden missed uh, over, over a game, like a game and a half, and hasn't even mattered. Hasn't mattered. Not one bit. The funniest thing is, the Bucks. is that Daryl Morey was actually on to this first. When he put together James Harden and Chris Paul, and they played literally isolation basketball, and, and Mike D'Antoni was, was part of this, and they, this is the best way to beat Golden State switching defense because, like, literally you cannot do anything about James Harden and Chris Paul. And, you know, it, they were the only team to push the, the Warriors to seven games. And the reason they couldn't get past the Warriors, seven, people can talk about, like, oh, you know, they missed 27 threes in a row. Like, if they had, you know, if they had uh, literally anyone else but Trevor Ariza that last game or whatever. Yeah, I hear all that. But you're going against Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, and Klay Thompson. Like, come on. You're going against those guys. And so if you can't get past those guys, look, it's it's not – I mean, it, it was the end of the world for them, but it's like it's no insult that they can't get past those guys. Like, But this idea that let me just get these two unstoppable guys and space them out with, with shooters um, and they just play one-on-one and there's literally no, nothing anyone can do about it. Maury was ahead of his time. I salute that. Man, that Rockets team. <laughs> yeah, it still blows me away what, what happened what happened there. I mean, the the, the decision to But you, but yeah. that's the kind of team that I want to build around around Zion and basically like allow him enough space to play one on one. And it's like good luck stopping him and then surrounded with enough shooters and guys who can do stuff. Because the problem with the Rockets is like Daniel House and like Luke Mabute and, and Trevor Rizzo weren't doing anything off the dribble. You know, Eric Gordon was like the only guy that was doing stuff like off the dribble. And they, they, they just didn't have the other dudes that were giving them. I mean, PJ Tucker was strictly a corner guy. And so I, I want to do something like that, but with guys that have more skills than their ancillary pieces. And so if I can give Zion enough space to dance in place like James Harden did, great. I just don't want you know, like him to have a 50% usage like James Harden did and score 40 points a game. I, I'd like it to be, you know, I like the workload to be a little more di- distributed. And, you know, if it's not just Zion, like can Brandon play in space? Can the other guys play in space? That's that's what I want to build around Zion. Cool. I think this was a, this was a good pod. And um, we're going to do a second one with uh, all of your questions. So so stay tuned for that. And um, But thanks for thanks for listening. What's up, everybody? I'm Bladen. I'm Matt. And I'm Theo. And we are Stay Hot, the only podcast that gives you the hottest analysis and takes on the NFL and NBA all year round. I know that there's a lot of losers and haters out there who don't think three sports TikTokers can hang for a full pod, but, you know, we're going to prove them all wrong. We're about to dive deep into the NFL draft and are already hitting the NBA playoffs. 
So watch Stay Hot on YouTube or listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.